0: All right, Philippians 3, 12, to 4, 1. God's word says this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly or worldly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm, thus, in the Lord, my beloved. This is the Word of God. Uh, When I was in in middle school, a group of my friends and I heard of a mysterious adventure located behind uh, our school. Mind you, I'll I'll remind you, I didn't grow up in uh, this area of Kentucky, I grew up actually in Southern California, and you may think when I say California of palm trees and beaches, uh, but when I say California, my upbringing was inland in California in the desert region. If you didn't know this, much of California is desert. And behind my middle school that I attended was a vast, undeveloped desert area near the Mojave River. Now, you may be getting a picture in your head of a river, but a river in California is not uh, as you may think of it. When you think of a river here, you think of the Ohio or the Salt River, maybe the, the big, mighty Mississippi River. But it's so dry in my hometown that, that the rivers actually flow, this is odd, underground. Okay, the Mojave River was an underground river. It was a, a dry riverbed, and the water table kind of lies close to the surface, and there's, there's a body of water in there. When it rains just enough, maybe it would come up above the land enough. There would be a few inches of, of water flowing through the Mojave River, but within a week or so, it would kind of go back underground Uh, Again, And so as you're picturing in your head my hometown, you can delete palm trees, you can delete beaches, and now you can delete water, okay? So now you have a picture in your head. Now behind my middle school was a large diameter drainage and flood control pipe that supposedly fed into the dry Mojave River. Now, I'm getting nervous because my father wasn't in the last service. He's in town right now. I don't know if he ever knew uh, what I'm going to share with you right now. So, dad, I'm sorry. There was a large uh, drainage and flood control pipe that supposedly fed into the dry Mojave River. I was sharing with my wife the other day. uh, I'm like, man, I'm really... You guys know the Life 360 app? It's a, it's a tracker app. For those of you who are parents, you know, it's like a GPS app that you have on your kid's phone where you know where they're at at all times. I'm so thankful that my parents didn't have that app when I was a kid. <laughs> okay. So there, there's this large diameter drainage pipe uh, back in, in this desert area behind my middle school that supposedly, like rumor had it, that it fed into the dry Mojave River. The pipe was huge. It was probably about 12 feet in diameter, so you could easily walk in standing up. And, and curiously, they never really put like a grade or anything that could keep people out of uh, this big old giant pipe. And so in our dumb middle school minds, our, 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 you know, we didn't have a brain yet. Uh, we decided to go on an adventure after school to see if we could make it from the beginning of the drainage pipe to the end. Like when you went into this thing, you could see no light at the end of the tunnel. It was a massive, massive pipe that went for miles. So we thought. And on top of this, because it was an adventure, we swore we weren't going to take flashlights with us. So it was pitch black once you got into this big old pipe, once you kind of came around the first bend into this drainage pipe. And so five of us boys set out on our journey. I was near the front. I wasn't all the way in front because if you know me, you know I'm a little bit scared and afraid of the dark. And so I was a little jittery or scared out of my mind, if I could be honest with you. We didn't really know our destination, right? Okay, Uh, mid-90s, there's no Google search. We couldn't Google where the big giant pipe in the middle of the desert goes to. So no Google search. We didn't have proper equipment. We didn't have a good guide. No one knew where we were going. No one had been to the destination before. So there was no one there to really lead us. We were ill-equipped for success. We would agree with that, right? We'd probably walked about a half a mile or so into the tube, pitch black, scared out of our minds, When the boy in the front, kind of leading the pack, yelled out that he could see someone in the tube ahead of us. I guess a light had shone down from the outside world. Maybe there was a a gutter or something that fed into this big drainage pipe. Illuminating this figure off in the distance in the direction that we were heading. And it didn't really matter who it was, friend or foe. Our already jittery sense of fear had set in, and in an instant when he had supposedly saw this person, the five of us did what? We turned around and we sprinted as fast as we could back out of the tube and out into the light, never knowing the destination because we never dared step foot in the tube ever again. We didn't accomplish what we set out for, did we? Because we were ill-equipped for the task, We didn't know the true destination. We didn't know where we were located. We were walking in the dark. And thankfully, in light of this passage this morning, the Lord, our God, doesn't lead us in a dark tube with no directions or lighting, does he? He indeed has given us, Psalm 119 tells us this, he has given us his word, which is what? A lamp unto our feet, right? Many of your Bibles have that kind of on the title page, that this is a lamp unto our feet. The question comes to mind though, as we, as we study this passage, where are we within our timeline, within our race as followers of Jesus? Where are we in the path of our life, in the race of our Christian marathon ourselves? Right? We already have this. You know, through faith, we already have the prize of Jesus, but we have not yet arrived at our final destination, which brings us to our main idea. Our main idea is this. Simply put, press on toward the finish line. Press on toward the finish line. Where do we pull this from? Verse 14, massively important to understanding this passage, says this. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Keep going toward the finish line. And I hope today's sermon is is one to encourage you to take hold of verse 14, to press on toward the finish line, which which brings us to the question that Paul is helping the Philippian church to embrace. Where are you in the race of life? Like what's your location? What's your position? The the whole section is designed to help us understand this, that we haven't arrived yet. We have a certain word that we use for actors or singers who think they're way better than they really are. We call them what? Prima Donnas, right? They they think they're way better. They're usually showy. They're going to let you know that they're really good. But here's the truth about all of us, every single follower of Christ in this room and all around the world. We haven't arrived yet. We haven't gotten to the destination Which brings us to another overarching point. Own your position in the race of life. Own the place that God has put you in. Own where you are at. Own where you are on the track or on the trail. I think the author of Hebrews, there's a, there's a passage in Hebrews that mirrors this one. It reminds us of this in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I got to pause there because there's something really remarkable that happens in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we call that chapter the hall of faith. And the author of Hebrews goes through in, in chapter 11 and details the life of a bunch of faithful men and women from the Old Testament. And so in, in your mind, you have people like Moses and Noah and Rahab as you're thinking through when we come to this point when the author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we can think of those faithful men and women. He goes on, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and here it is, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Okay, For the joy that was set before him, he suffered on our behalf, despising the shame. And here is what he received. This is his prize and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Powerful passage. With this passage as a reminder and encourager, Paul is going to take us kind of step by step On finishing the race well. That's what we're talking about this morning. Finishing the race of life well. Number one, we have to acknowledge this. You haven't arrived. You haven't made it to the destination yet. The finish line is still off in... The distance. And so, what does this tell us? It tells us that we have to approach the race with humility. Paul has talked all throughout Philippians about humility, and he sets Jesus as kind of the high watermark of humility, of a humble servant coming to earth and dying for our sins. You haven't arrived. That's where we, we approach the race as humble men and women of Jesus. Again, own your position. Where are you at in the race? Some some of you are just setting out. You've just begun the race. You've just received Jesus. You've just placed your faith, trust and confidence in the finished work of Christ. You're just getting on with the race. Some of you have backslidden and and you got lost a little on the trail, but by the grace of God and the guidance of his spirit, he has guided you. He's brought you back onto the race course. Some of you are nearing the finish line and you need a little bit of a push. But regardless, everybody in the room who is a follower of of Christ, if you're breathing, right? If you're alive, you're still in the race. We got to still keep going. And the first step to getting to the finish line is realizing I'm in a race. I have to keep going. And that I haven't arrived at the destination yet. Verse 12, Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already Perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is a cool way that Paul has said this. I want to remind you of the context. Paul just came off of a passage that we preached on last week where he detailed his good works and the reality that they are meaningless if not done for the glory of Jesus. And then he makes this humbling statement. He basically says, hey, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't made it to the destination. I'm not there yet. You may look to me as an example, Paul would say, but I'm not finished just yet. Jesus still has some molding to do in me. Amen? Right, Jesus still has some molding to do in us. But I'm going to keep going. Not under my own power, but look what he says in this verse. He says, I make it my own. Why? Because Jesus made me his own. In a nutshell, Paul is saying, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. You haven't made it yet. There's no time to go into cruise control. You guys know cruise control on the car, right? You just set it, you set the speed, and it just runs on its own. There's no cruise control in the Christian life. Continue, He would say back in chapter 2 to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And know that you aren't perfect. And because you aren't perfect, now we need to be reminded of this. We're going to mess up in this present life. Okay, we are going to struggle with sin. We're going to fall short of the mark. We aren't perfect. We still need the grace and mercy of Jesus because we're still going to struggle with sin even if we are approaching the finish line. And I think the Apostle John has a beautiful passage for us to remind us of how God deals with our sin. In 1 John 2, 1-12, when he says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So here, John sets up kind of the guardrail. I don't want you to cross over into this place. I don't want you to, to live in light of your flesh and to sin. Then he goes on, but... right. If anyone does sin, if anyone does fall short, if anyone does mess up, this is beautiful. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Look at this title, the righteous, right? The perfect one. He is the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? That Jesus has gone forth before us in his perfection and he has at the cross, this is what we learned. He received the full wrath of God and he appeased the wrath of God and has turned God's wrath towards sinful humanity to favor. When we place our faith in Jesus, the wrath of God is averted and the favor and righteousness of Jesus is applied to us. That's a beautiful truth of scripture. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This should give us confidence to keep going in the race. Number two, step two, you need to shed weight. You need to shed weight. I hate going to the doctor. You want to know why? Because whenever I go, they say, hey, you need to lose weight. It's like, dude, come on. I know that. Okay, what do I mean by this? We need to lose guilt we need to leave it behind us. We need to leave guilt behind us. We need to lose weight. You may be thinking, is he talking about a diet plan? Yes, I am. And it's a diet plan for your soul, a diet plan for your soul. Some of us are carrying around too much stuff. We got too much baggage. You need to shed some soul weight. If Jesus made you his own, as it says in the in the verse just prior to this, he's handled the dumb thing that you did in the past. Let it go. And he can handle that dumb thing that you're doing in secret right now. Here's, here's, here's some advice. You just have to let him. Let him handle that thing in your life. Verse 13. Brothers. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Hear this. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Do you know the things that Paul did in his life? Do you remember? In all of his righteousness and his perfectionism and his adherence to the law, he was on the road to go murder Christians. Paul's a murderer. And he says here forgetting what lies behind. Now, what's beautiful is we have this tension in Paul's life because, again, right in the passage just prior to this, he said, I was a persecutor of the church, so obviously he hasn't forgotten what he did. We don't ever forget what we did, but you know what? He's left it in his past. It's not going to be a weight holding him back anymore. Some of you got to let it go. You have so much, so many things that you've done in the past that you just need to let it go. You wake up in the middle of the night, man, man, I wish I would have never done that. Let it go. Jesus paid the penalty. Leave it. Drop some soul weight. In other words, stop looking back. I love when the Bible talks about races and things like that because then I get to use sports analogies. I love sports. So I got a whole bunch of them here for you this morning. You ever, you ever watch football? And in football, the, the offensive line or the big guys, they blast this big old hole in the defensive line. The running back gets the ball. He's the fast guy. Ladies, if you don't know much about football, the running back's the fast guy, usually, that has the football. And he hits that hole, and he's, he's breaking away. He, he's made it through the defense. He's running and sprinting towards the end zone. That's where you score a touchdown. And there's a defensive player that usually hangs way back. He's called the safety, the defensive safety. And what drives me nuts is when the running back on my team hits that hole and they they have it. They have the touchdown. That's all they got to do is just keep running. But what do they do? They keep looking over their shoulder backwards, don't they? And every time they look to try to find where that safety's at, you want to know what happens? They slow down and that guy gets closer and closer and closer. And you better be thankful you don't live with me because usually I'm, I'm standing and I'm yelling at the TV like they can hear me. I'm like, would you just run? Right? But that's how we live life. We keep looking over our shoulder over and over and over again. Just keep going. Some of us are doing this in life right now. We have something we've done in the past, whether it be a sinful regret, a damaged relationship, and you just can't shed the weight and guilt and let it go. How do we shed it? How do we let it go? Number one, acknowledge your sin. Number two, repent. Do you know what repentance means? It means to literally turn away from the thing you were doing and to turn to Jesus. Confess your sin. Tell somebody about it. Number four, apologize and seek forgiveness and reconciliation with the people that were damaged by your sin. And then here's number five. Move on and keep going. Go. Stop looking over your shoulder. Shed the weight. For some of you, it may be a guilty conscience that's weighing you down. Or for some of you, it may be other people weighing you down. You got to shed the weight. You got to keep going. Hebrews 12.1 gets at this point. He says, therefore, since we have, are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, here it is, every weight. Every means how many? All of it. Every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set. Before us if you showed up to a marathon race and there was a guy that came walking up and he had jeans And he had these boots on and a big old parka and he had a backpack with snacks and a bunch of drinks in it And a beanie hat and he's lined up at the starting line. Everybody would look be looking at him funny, right? He's not prepared for the race. Is he All the good runners show up. They got these really short shorts Tank top. They got their running shoes barely even socks on why because they don't want to be weighed down They got to run. They don't need to be weighed down by a bunch of stuff. You don't run a marathon with jeans and a parka jacket and a backpack full of snacks and drinks. You bring along as little as possible to maximize your energy and efficiency. All that to say, let all the weight go and keep running the race that the Lord has marked out for you. Number three, you need others. Okay, I'll just put it this way. You need to go to church. Now, there's a lot of you here this morning, you got to keep coming to church. It's the way that we practice our faith. Last week I said this, Christianity isn't a solo sport. You can't live the Christian life on your own. We need community. We need relationships. We need each other. Paul, again, he will present the mature believers and himself as an example to follow. Okay, But how do you see the example if you're never around the example? You need, here's the thing, in the age of virtual gatherings and and digital meetings and all of this technology that we have, this is what you need in the Christian life. You need real life, in-person community and relationships with one another. Okay, your Facebook friends, they can't fix that. A phone call may make it better, but a good in-person conversation and gathering together as the people of God is what you need. You need other people. You need real life in-person community and relationships. We need each other. We need connection. Philippians 3:15 to 17 says, "Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you." I want to pause there, okay? Those of you who are who are mature in the faith or maturing in the faith, God is going to reveal things to you that you need to shift and change. That's that still small voice in your ear talking to you and saying, "Hey, don't do that. Listen to the spirit of God." Reading on, "Only let us hold true to what we have attained," okay? I want to point out two words to you, and I want you to put it in the back of your mind for a little bit later in This sermon. There's been quite a few words such as obtain, right? When we're trying to obtain something, we don't have it yet, do we? We're we're going to try to grab hold of it. That's the idea of obtaining something. Now, if we've attained something, we are at something we have, right? We've successfully grabbed hold of it. So just keep those words. We've seen those words a lot in this passage. Keep those in the back of your mind. We're going to get to that in the last point. Reading on. He says this, brothers, join in imitating me, and here it is, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We need each other. We need accountability and encouragement in our life. We, we all need a little encouragement to get to the end of the race to get to the end of the football game, if we're thinking about sports analogies. Yesterday, I took my family to uh, the U of L football game, and the cards were leading as the third quarter ended, right? The, the whistle blows to end the third quarter. In fact, I'll just say it, they were putting a whooping down on Virginia Tech. Anybody watch the game? Not too many cards fans here, all right. And yet, even though they were clearly winning the game on the field, There was a little bit of a a momentum thing going on in the third quarter. They kind of came out flat. I was like, come on, guys, put them away. The third quarter ends. Now, do you know how many quarters are in a football game? There's four. Okay. Just want to make sure we're clear on that. When something's quartered, there's usually four to make up the whole. Okay. So whistle blows the end of the third quarter, and I notice the players start kind of jumping around. You know, everybody, the sidelines clear, they come out around the coaches, and they're all jumping around, they're holding up the number four in the air. They're reminding each other what? Hey, it's the fourth quarter, what does that mean? We're almost done. We're almost there. Then the music turns on, right? Okay, do I have any Wolf Mother fans in here? The Joker and the Thief, right? If you're not fired up and want to punch a hole in the wall after you listen to that song then you must be dead. So they start playing the pump-up music. Everybody's clapping. Now there's thousands, tens of thousands of people in the stands that are jumping up and down. And what are they doing? They're cheering. They're clapping. What are they doing? They're encouraging their team to keep going. Finish. Right, finish. I remember last year, my wife and I went to a game. I think they were playing the other Virginia school, and they were winning in the third quarter, and they did all this hooping and hollering, but obviously they didn't get the message because they lost. But it's a new era of football here in Louisville. And so the, the players are holding up the number four. They're reminding each other that they're nearing the end of the game, but they have to finish, don't they? Gotta keep going. You don't have it just yet. The crowd alongside them to remind them, we need you to finish. We need what? We need each other, don't we? We need that encouragement. We need someone to cheer us on. We need both encouragement and warning from others. Hebrews 1024 to 25 gets at this beautifully when it says this, and let us consider, here it is, how to stir one another up to love and good works, right? To finish the race. And then it gives a warning. Here's the warning. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. I want to pause there. Because we usually have a tendency to kind of romanticize the early church. Like they had it all figured out. Everything was perfect. If only we could go back to the days of early Christianity, everything would be okay. But here, the author of Hebrews is still calling out people and saying, Hey, you're skipping church to go supposedly do fun stuff. Knock it off. You need the encouragement of gathering together. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Why? But encouraging one another. Notice this. And all the more as you see the big D day drawing near. What does that mean? Okay. This was written probably about 2,000 years ago. Now we're 2,000 years closer to the return of who? Jesus. That's the day that the author is talking about. And he's saying gathering together all the more. We need each other. Get together with one another consistently. Number four, you need to proceed with caution. Proceed with caution. There are obstacles that can trip you up in life. Oftentimes they can, kind of, they can be the very company that you keep, the people that you surround yourself with. Verses 18 and 19, Paul says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. I want to pause there. It hurts Paul to give this warning because there are men and women that he seems to think have at once walked with Jesus and have now walked away from Jesus and they're drawing other people. You know what hurts a pastor's heart more than anything? Seeing somebody who you thought was faithful to Jesus walk away, and on top of that, not just walk away, but try to pull other people away with them. That hurts. He says this, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly or we could say worldly things. Just as we need good company, right? We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we find this generally in Christian discipleship and friendship. We have a word we call fellowship, right? We also must be mindful of the negative voices in our lives. Whether they be negative influences drawing us or luring us into our old sinful ways, or folks with corrupt beliefs that do not align with the Scriptures, attempting to draw believers into false belief. I want to warn you, there are cults, heretical cults, in our community right now. You need to know that. Seeking, actively seeking to destroy the church, to infiltrate the church and destroy it with false belief. You've been warned. Keep your ears open. Paul's teaching here is aimed primarily, though, at those who influence towards a worldly lifestyle. Right? Guard your heart. Beware the company that you keep. I want to pause, though, because we are a missional people. right? We're on mission to seek out those who are far from Jesus. So this isn't saying we alienate ourselves or close ourselves off from the world, but we are a light to the world. Okay, So we need to be a light to the world. So our closest friendship should be followers of Jesus should be followers of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34 Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. You need to proceed with caution in your life. Be aware. Number five, easy, right? Just keep going. Keep running. Keep moving. We call this endurance and perseverance. You need to endure. In order to finish the race, you got to do two things. One, you got to enter it. Some of you in the room maybe haven't even gotten in the race yet. I'll get to that in just a moment. If you're in it, you got to keep going. We got to keep running towards the finish line. And like I said, in the Christian life, we call this perseverance or endurance. You got to keep going verses 20 to 21, but our, Paul's going to remind us of our location here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus would say, we are not of this world. And from it, we await a savior, right? The second coming of Jesus. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, when he comes a second time, this is what he's going to do, who will transform our lowly body, right? Our body that's fallen apart and decaying our lowly body, to be like his glorious body. Jesus, We see an example of this. When Jesus raises from the dead, he has a resurrected, glorified body. That's the finish line. That's what we're aiming for. It says, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We need to keep going towards that prize of what we would call glorification, and so the question here is, what is your destination? What is your destination? I want to share a story with you. If you guys remember, uh, Pastor Isaac was with us a few weeks ago. He's a pastor from Malawi. Came up and shared a little bit about his ministry. Came back that following Wednesday and preached to us on a Wednesday night. Uh, pastor Isaac is just an amazing example of faithfulness to God. And he's really uh, I was hanging out with him this last week. Actually, Pastor Nate and I were with Pastor Isaac, and we went out to lunch together uh, in Mount Washington, a little restaurant over there. And we ate our lunch and and the server came to bring the bill, and she set it down and And Pastor Isaac looked at her and said, "I got to try to do a Malawian accent a little bit because you' got to kind of get the full full effect. He goes. He looks at her and he just goes, "Now, gonna, let me say this first. Like he has a seriousness about him. Yeah. Like he's got a good hearty laugh, but there's a there's an intensity and a seriousness about Pastor Isaac. When you talk when he talks to you, you listen, you know what I'm saying? And he looks at this this young lady and he goes, "What is your destination?" <laughs> I was like what? That sounded a little bit more like Arnold Schwarzenegger than someone from Malawi. <laughs> And he she didn't really she wasn't tracking with what he was asking or what he was getting at so he kind of he explained it a little bit to her and she responded in this way once she understood what he was getting at and she said I think I'm good and he goes yeah but what's your destination and she goes I think I'm going to heaven and he goes yeah but what's your destination and she goes I hope I get there. Do you see the hesitancy in that answer? And he told her, did you know that there's a way that you can be certain of your destination? And then he shared with her John 3.16. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life and he goes if you believe this you can be certain of your destination the question this morning is when we I said just a few minutes ago you have to enter the race don't you do you know your destination I'm going to make a heavy statement if you died today do you know where you're going Do you know where you're headed? Did you know that you don't have to answer like this young lady did and say, I hope so. I think I will. But that you can be certain of where that destination is. And we can take hold of that destination by placing our faith, trust, and confidence in the finished work of Jesus. Jesus did this. I'm going to share the gospel with you this morning. Jesus did this. He, he left a place in heaven and came to earth. God came and took on human flesh. A humble servant. And he, he lived. Now, God's redemptive purposes revealed through a nation, Israel. And they were given a law. And they failed to uphold it. But Jesus came And lived perfectly to every single aspect of that law. Nothing left unturned. Perfectly. He also obeyed the will of God. And it was the will of God we find in Isaiah 53 that his son would go to the cross and die a horrendous death. An innocent person in our place. He was fixed to the cross, shed his blood to cancel the record of debt that was put against us through our willful sinfulness against God. Jesus died on the cross and he went into the grave. Jesus died bodily. He didn't faint. He didn't fake it. He went into the grave and there was a massive stone rolled over the grave. But on the third day, by the power of God's spirit, Jesus raised from the dead. The stone was rolled away and Jesus emerged from the grave alive. And his resurrection means this, that he is who he says he is. He is fully God and fully human, that we can trust in his every promise that he's given to us. And this, this is the amazing news, that he has defeated sin and death Apart from Jesus, we stand before God with our own good works, our own merit. And they don't measure up to the righteousness of God. We need the righteousness of another. And Jesus made a way that we can receive his righteousness. And it's simple. We place our faith in his finished work. That begins the race. What is your destination? Where are you going? How can you be certain of where your destination is? is. And if you are certain of your destination, we must also keep going on the path in the race toward the finish line. We have to endure. That's what Paul is getting at here. We have to keep going. Endure till the end. Persevere. Recognize your position. Humbly accept that you have not yet arrived. Shed the weight of guilt and sin in your life. Surround yourself with godly examples and accountability. Caution yourself in the company that you keep. Endure until the finish. And ultimately, it's, it's a mindset and a heart set that, that we may be in a race moving toward the finish line. But Jesus, I want to end on this. This is the beautiful news of this passage, the beautiful news of, of Scripture. But Jesus has, Paul says at the very beginning, he has already made us his own. He has already grabbed hold of us remember that line we are positioned already for victory and it's secure in the son's work isn't that amazing and that brings us to our final point own your position in christ own your position in christ we are already positioned for victory we have victory secured through life in jesus remember those two words i said earlier obtain, right? We're running after, we're grabbing hold of it. But Paul also uses the word attain, which means that we have successfully taken hold of it because it's not dependent on us. It's dependent on the work of another, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Own your position in Jesus. uh, Chapter 4, verse 1 gives us this exhortation. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, here it is, stand firm, right? Stand firm in the position that you have in the Lord, my beloved. I think Ephesians 2 actually captures this idea well that we are in a race, but our victory is certainly secure in the race, even now when Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 4-7, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, this is what he did. He made us alive together with Christ. Then Paul reminds us, by grace you have been saved. Notice, and here it is, raised us up with him. Look at our position, right? And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness, So that, here's the result, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is what the scriptures are getting at right here. We've already secured the victory through faith in Jesus and we are, this is amazing, we are God's trophies to display his glory. That's what Paul's getting at here. That's what the scriptures are saying so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are God's trophies displaying his glory. Isn't that amazing? Seated right now with him in the heavenly places we're the trophies of God. So if we know that we have attained this, we can have a supernatural confidence, Christian, to simply, I'm going to simply put it this way. Keep going. Keep going. Keep running. Shed the weight. Keep your eye on the prize of Jesus. Amen.